Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Today, I interview Andrew Gazdecki, the CEO of MicroAcquire. MicroAcquire facilitates transactions of businesses, specifically catering to SaaS companies. They were started a little over two and a half years ago. They've raised $11 million, doing about $2 million in annual recurring revenue. Their model works where people who are selling their SaaS company can list it. It's private for sellers who the sellers can pay a premium upgrade and pay to access and talk to buyers. We had a wide-ranging conversation about where they started from, what Andrew's previous businesses were, the early days of the company to where they are today and where they're headed in the future. We covered regulatory considerations, why Andrew had to get his real estate license to build this business, and much more. So hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I did. Here is Andrew Gazdecki. All right, man. So we're live. Uh, first question I want to ask you is about your Madden game. So you're, I've heard one of the top <laughs> 100 players in the world. <laughs> and I want to know, what does it take? What, what separates the good from the great? What makes it, how do you get into that elite club? What do you, what do you yeah. do at that level? Okay, so the story behind that was um, I had just sold my second business, and I'm not proud of this at all, but I, <laughs> I just had nothing to do all day. And as an entrepreneur or a startup founder, you know, you just love to to build, and I just didn't have any ideas at the time. I had some things I was noodling on, and we'll talk about um, MicroQuire, which was what I was lightly noodling on, but I wasn't sure if I wanted to commit to it um, for a number of reasons. Uh, but yeah, I, I was playing like probably 20 games of Madden a day and uh, play with the Falcons. This is in like 19. Michael Vick? My go, my go my, no, not Mike Vick. Um, my go-to play was just um, just a big bomb to Julio Jones. It's kind of like a cheap play. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, if anyone's listening, um, I, I still play pretty free after this podcast i'll probably go play. <laughs> I've, been, I've been working all day and i love madden and i love football um, my username is mantic mermaid 46 uh don't ask me why it's that i got one of those like auto generated ones i was like sure yeah, yeah. i'll take it yeah yeah so my my friends asked me like why is that your username and i'm like just just play me okay yeah yeah that's fun <laughs> yeah i was I, I never got super deep into madden i was really into fifa for a while 
But uh, I think yeah. I just overdosed and I eventually just, I was done with it and never played again. Yeah, I I just, I, I kind of, I'm like a one game type person. I find a game I like and I just kind of stick with yeah. it. Yeah, nice. I respect that. Well, cool. So uh, similar to me, uh, you've had uh, kind of an eclectic journey across different startups, uh, you know, just lightly covering this, but you've started what business apps and you ran that for six, seven, eight years, somewhere in that range, years, 2010. Years, yeah. yep. um, sold that, that got you sitting on a couch, right? Playing video games. And then that was my, uh, my, my second business, Allcoin got Allcoin. me sitting, sitting on a couch. Yeah. The story, um, do you want to like the quick sort of like two minutes? Yeah, sure. That sort of journey. Um, so yeah, so business apps was a, uh, business I bootstrapped in college. I started it when I was 21, uh, grew to about 10 million, uh, like let's just call it like 11 and change and then sold it to a private equity firm. And so that was kind of like my holy shit, like life changing moment. Um, and instead of taking a vacation or taking any time off, I decided let's start another company with a new set of challenging problems and a new team. And I was actually, I actually was working on the startup as we were in due diligence, just putting together the team, the plan, hiring, that sort of stuff. Um, Just because I couldn't imagine not building. I, you know, I learned from an early age and I've, I've been really fortunate that, you know, I found my passion just in, in business. I just, I love startups. Like I could meet LeBron James and be like, what's up, man? But if I meet like the founder of like, I don't know, like a startup that I admire, I'm like, oh my gosh, he built that. Give me, like, what's so what's the startup? What comes to mind? Uh, I don't know. If I met like the Stripe uh, brothers, yeah. I'd probably be like, tell me more. I want to know about your, like your story. Like, how'd you do it? Um, that's, that's just one of them. But, uh, yeah, I just, I love startups. And so, um, after, um, business apps was acquired, I immediately started another company and that company was acquired, um, about a year and a half after my first acquisition. And it was a smaller one, but it was still, um, uh, meaningful for a year. And what we were trying to do with Altcoin was speed up times on the Ethereum blockchain using, a layer two sidechain solution called um, Plasma. And our our first use case was going to be basically like a decentralized Coinbase. And the SEC came out in like 2018. I don't know if you remember this. Mm -hmm. And they, you know, cracked down on ICOs. We never did an ICO, but um, we were basically building an unregulated securities exchange, which is a big, big, big federal crime no-no. so we kind of like talked as a team and we realized we need more funding to keep going. And so we really just needed kind of like a soft landing. And so uh, we pivoted the business to basically be like a white label platform where we have the technology, but we couldn't launch it because we didn't have the regulatory uh, license, like a money transmitter license. We needed like a chief compliance officer. Um, I actually talked with the SEC proactively just to be like, hey, like... You know, we're not going to launch this. Like, you know, we're just, we're, we're just, you know, uh, we're, we're building technology. We're not trying to break, break any laws here. And they were surprisingly nice. They were surprised. I remember that they, and they knew a lot about how 
crypto worked and how blockchain worked and different sort of, uh, you know, protocols and stuff like that. So I ended up selling that business to um, a company called Bank to the Future, which is kind of like we funder a republic for crypto companies, like crowdfunding. Mm-hmm. And then after that, yeah, I just had a ton of free time. And um, my wife was also pregnant. So it was kind of like good timing of like, she was kind of, you know, we couldn't go travel the world and stuff like yeah. that, like take a break or anything. So yeah, I just played Madden all day. Like, yes. <laughs> I, <laughs> yeah, so it, it was actually, and it was really good for me too, because, um, and I recommend this to anyone who sells a business now is um, take a break. Like literally just let your mind just like do nothing or go travel or go do, do nothing or something unrelated to business. Because, you know, what I think happened to me was, um, and I've kind of unpacked this with um, other entrepreneurs, but when you're CEO of a company for like eight years and that goes away. So the terms of my initial, my first acquisition was, um, basically I'd be out of the business in 90 days. And so, you know, it kind of becomes part of your identity. You're like, you're out of the business. Like you don't have a team anymore. And you I got all your, team. all your personal emails are in your work email. It's like all mushed together at that point. Yeah. And then you get out and you're like, well, I'm used to building all day. What do I do? Um, but the best thing you can do for yourself is take a break and really think about what you want to do next. And I jumped into this other business, um, Allcoin, um, which I, I, I had a ton of fun, learned a lot. Um, but more importantly, I learned more about what I don't like in startups. Um, and that's really what led me towards, uh, MicroQuire. So it all, you know, it's weird yeah. how the world kind of goes in a circle. You get a win and maybe, you know, totally. not so big of a win with a little bit, a couple of bruises, and then, you know, that leads you to something better. You, what is it that you didn't like about Alcoin? I would say just number one, the the requirements. Oh, I guess what I felt, what I thought I was building was a technology company. What I was really building was a regulatory compliance company. So there's a lot of regulatory stuff I had to get through and that was appealing to me. Um, the technology was very advanced. I'm not a technical founder, so I'm not the one who should have been um, running that business. So that, that's kind of like a mm. chief scientist. And we had some amazing engineers on on the team, um, but that should have been led by, because it was, it was so like, Again, yeah. Ethereum is still slow. We were trying to crack a very, 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 very challenging problem. Um, but then also the customer. Um, you know, crypto customers, you know, can be uh, kind of ruthless in terms of if something doesn't work, it's a scam. Mm-hmm. It's a scam. If it's not out on time, it's a scam. And then you get yelled at on Twitter by um, Cartman with 500,000 followers. Yeah. Um, so I just realized, you know, you know, I love... Uh, blockchain. I love cryptocurrency, but I didn't want to spend my career in that. And so, you know, one of my, um, you know, the principles that I, I try to operate now is um, build a build a business. Like when you first, instead of thinking about business ideas or startup ideas, think of a customer that you love and that you understand and that you have a unique insight into. And so as a personal example, um, I wrote down, I wanted to serve 
uh, startups and entrepreneurs. I wanted, um, I even, I just basically wrote down my anti-list. I wanted a very um, uh, capital efficient business. Marketplaces are one of the most capital efficient businesses. I don't need to hire a huge sales team, a huge support team. Um, also light on R&D because really the value is in the network effects of the users. Um, and uh, just having a unique insight. You know, having been through two acquisitions, I looked around the market and I just thought, is there a place for you to buy and sell different SaaS companies? And this is what I was going to do um, for my my third act, if you will, is I was going to buy a SaaS company. And I looked at... Uh, some of the marketplaces um, in the space and didn't really see anything specific to SaaS. Um, you know, I looked and worked with a few business brokers and n- the quality was low. And then I found out that business brokers were taking uh, 10 to 15% commissions on these deals. And I was like, whoa, that's, that's, <laughs> that's yeah, like, where were you looking? Yeah, where, were you, where, where were you at the time? Where were you looking to buy it? Where could was there any listing sites or? Uh, I don't want to say just because I don't want to disparage anybody, but um, I would say it's industry wide. Um, and you know, there's there's a lot of good brokers out there, but there's also a lot of bad brokers out there. And so, but it was mostly I brokers. The, what, the, what was there listing sites at the time, or is it mostly brokers? The, uh. Some brokers have their listings on their websites, and then there was other marketplaces. But you know, when I look at the reviews, it would just say there's just lots of scams, things yeah, to look yeah. out for. So I felt there needed to be a marketplace that favored startups rather than buyers. Yeah. If that makes sense, something that puts founders first and helps them maximize exits. And I felt brokers were more on the side of. Hey, let's get this business priced down to something we can sell it within 30 days. And then other marketplaces, I felt just were more like kind of Craigslist. And so, um, you know, I always say, you know, you have product hunt for discovery, you have AngelList for investing, and then you have MicroQuire for the exit, which is arguably the most important part of the founder's journey. So, you know, once I really started diving into that, um, do you want me to kind of keep going? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm into it. I'm I'm digging it. All right. Okay. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I launched the marketplace and I ran it for free for for a year. No business model. I had no idea how I was yeah. gonna make money. Um, and the original idea was basically, okay, this is how I'll get deal flow. I'll get first look at all the deals, and maybe I'll find my one company and then sell off MicroQuire to someone else or something like that. But what I found was I just enjoyed working with entrepreneurs and buyers and speaking with cool people like you. And um, it, it started to feel like, okay, this is this is a business I could run for the next, you know, decade. Um, and so, uh, you know, again, going back to how I launched MicroCore. So I ran MicroCore by myself. And that's everything from customer service to writing the newsletters because we have a daily newsletter. So a daily newsletter every single day I would write with just new deals and stuff like that that would come on the platform. Uh, Product management, uh, operations, everything end-to-end to to run the business. Marketing, obviously, sales. Um, And then 
Uh, yeah, did that for over a year. Um, and then we layered on our first business model, which was basically to view um, deals on MicroCore, or excuse me, to get access to information on the deals on MicroCore, because everything's private. So when you log into MicroCore, you'll see listings like profitable invoicing SaaS platform with a million in revenue. Mm-hmm. And it's got more information than that. But to get further information, you have to contact the seller. The seller gets your request. And then they approve or deny your request based on, you know, after them researching um, you, like your LinkedIn profile, your bio, that sort of stuff. Um, so basically built the marketplace where I would feel comfortable listing a business. And um, after about a year, there was a couple complaints coming in about founders getting too many requests from buyers. Because at that point, it was kind of like a free-for-all. Just right. like anyone could come in, anyone could request information on buyers. And so I put up a paywall that basically where, as an analogy, you know, uh, microquire, let's just say it's like a, a, a Ferrari shop or something like that. And you can go in, you can look at the cars. Um, and if you want information on the mileage, the maintenance, owner, how do I buy it? Um, you pay for that subscription so you can contact the seller and then um, facilitate an acquisition. And we do this all without any sort of middleman, no brokers, no investment bankers. So the key difference from the traditional model and the brokers would be rather than a percentage of the transaction, you're normalizing the fee. So everyone, all the sellers, no, sorry, all the buyers would pay the same fee to have access to the information and contact the sellers? Yeah, today. We're we're going to be charging commission uh, probably before the end of the year. But the, w- the way that we want to do that is we want to add so much value into the acquisition process. Um, and we were talking about this before we started recording, but we want to standardize, we want to streamline, we want to bring a data-driven approach to acquisition, acquisitions like like what is your if you ask like what your startup is worth, like just go on Twitter and be like, what is my startup is worth? And here's like 10 stats, you're gonna get 10 different answers. Like there's no real mm. everyone has their different like formula, there's different comps you can compare. Um, but with microcar, we have so much data on acquisitions. Um, in a year's time, we're gonna get to a point where we can tell you exactly how many buyers we have that are interested specifically in your type of startup. Um within a range of what we see these types of startups selling based on key metrics like your monthly recurring revenue, your churn, your growth rate, how long you've been in business, um, and a number of other things. Um, And then again, just making the process really easy where you can create legal docs, you can transfer assets within the marketplace. And there's really been nothing built like that before. Um, Other marketplaces are more less of a marketplace, more of like a directory, I guess you would say. Yeah, yeah. You just chat with the buyer and then that's kind of it. But we're building tooling to make um, the acquisition process easier for both um, the buyer and the seller, if that makes sense. Yeah, totally. I can see it being, I mean, it's a rough analogy because there's not actual liquidity in this, but the, you know, if I'm picturing like Redfin, they're a real estate uh, listing site and a broker, they're not facilitating transactions, but they have a lot of insight on the data. They sort of present that to you as the as the buyer. So you can see, because similar to companies, 
housing is difficult to price. It's hard to know, like, what is a house worth? Well, it's worth whatever people are willing to pay for it. And that goes up and down as opposed to something more standardized, like, a you know, a car or something made by a manufacturer. And the previous history, like comps, comparables is, I find the most telling thing, but then tell me what you think of this when the number of buyers is very sparse there's only a couple or maybe they're big buyers but there's only like two of them in the marketplace and they're competing for a company like we my first startup was a mobile we built a point of sale system for clothing shops that worked on an ipad so people could have multiple ipads across the store or multiple stores that all use the same back-end system in the cloud and we ended up selling the company it was a SaaS company and there was two acquirers that were both interested and we were kind of playing this game of bouncing the deal back and forth between them and ended up selling it to big commerce, which is a large e-commerce company. But to your point, there was no, I had no idea what our company was worth. And, you know, like you said earlier, I was just phoning a friend or asking people what multiples it was trying to understand what's the categorization of this company. Is it a, payments company? Is it an e-commerce company? Is it a retail company? Do you see, I mean, how, how much do the deals vary across? What are the most important factors? If I, if I, if you could say, okay, I want to sell my company. What is, what do you ask me first? Is it revenue? And then do you ask me market segment? Like what, what are the top couple of things that dictate the acquisition price? Yeah, that's a good question. Well, the first thing I'll say is there's there's two types of buyers. You know, there's financial buyers, it's private equity, and they're typically going to be buying your business or looking for a different key metrics in your business than a strategic buyer. So a private equity firm is typically going to be looking at uh, just revenue. Like how big is your company? Is it profitable? If not profitable, how fast is it growing? Um, and that's kind of it. Like some private equity firms will just buy any sort of SaaS company with a pulse and, and, and revenue. Cause that's what they're doing. They're, they're buying revenue and they're putting, uh, you know, a, a four or five X multiple on whatever revenue you have. Um, and then there's strategic buyers, which would be in the case of like big commerce, um, you know, where you typically get, will, will get higher multiples, but the deal structures can be different. So, you can get, you know, from a private equity firm, you can get cash up front out of the business in 90 days. With a strategic, you're usually locked in with, you know, let's call it 50% cash. I don't know your terms of your deal, but, um, yeah, you know, maybe half of it's, half of it's stock or something like that. Um, so there's, there's a lot of variables. Um, but I'd say, you know, the, the number one things when, you know, you know, the value of a business, like you said, is what someone is willing to pay at that point in time. Um, and there's so many different variables with businesses, but if you really want to command the highest multiple growth rate by far, if hmm. you're growing 300% year over year and this thing, because if you have a situation where basically, hey, every single month my business is worth more, then that's where you get, you know, the 10, 20x multiples um, from what I've seen. Um, and then if you have a more stable business, um, you're going to see lower multiples because it's, 
but you're you're probably going to have more buyers that are willing to you know acquire a stable profitable software company so there's a lot of factors there's churn there's um, customer count customer concentration like does 30 percent of your revenue come from microsoft or something like that um so I, I i agree in terms of you know valuing a SaaS company is very hard um but one thing you know that's always a good exercise is just you know number one asking buyers like what like okay here's what i think it's worth what do you think it's worth and then you kind of have a conversation around that um and that can kind of give you some insight into the market and doing that before you go to market and actually run a process. Because if you have, there's a saying, if you have one buyer, you have no buyers. Mm-hmm. Um, that could be really helpful in terms of increasing your chances of, of getting acquired. One buyer, you have no buyers, meaning there's no competition for price. So, Yeah, you just have no leverage. Right. You have no leverage on terms or price. You're kind of just like hoping this one company. So you want to create a process that brings in multiple buyers. And that's what... Um, I think MicroCard does a really good job at almost to an overwhelming point where there's too many buyers. And so you're, you got to filter out who's a tire kicker, who's serious, who's willing to pay cash, who wants to do, um, you know, seller financing, which is mm-hmm. where they give you half a front and then pay you the remaining half over the next 93 to six mm-hmm. months or something like that. Um, so yeah, the more buyers you can bring to the table, the more leverage you typically have. If you own crypto and leave it on the exchange where you bought it, like Coinbase, that is a mistake. We've heard the news lately. Exchanges closed, accounts frozen. We're learning the hard way that crypto on exchanges is not really in your control. So what can you do about it? Well, you can get a crypto wallet and control the crypto yourself. And that's why today's show is sponsored by ZenGo. These guys realize that Storing Bitcoin and storing crypto yourself can be difficult. It's risky to keep private keys. They realized this and said there's got to be a better way. So they created a crypto wallet that is fully recoverable. So say goodbye to lost Bitcoins. And the security of this wallet is incredible. It's a hacker's worst nightmare. They use a three-factor authentication, including 3D biometrics, so no one can access your wallet except for you. And Zengo realizes that at different levels of the crypto journey, you have different needs. So they offer 27 support and have real people that are available to contact directly within the app. They have a bunch of different coins, Bitcoin, Ethereum, Tezos, and more, and they have all sorts of NFTs available as well. So now for the first time, you can keep your crypto safe with the same tools that the big guys have used for years. Download Zengo, that's Z-E-N-G-O, and use code ATC to get $20 back on your first purchase of $200 or more. That's $20 back for your first purchase of $200 or more. Use code ATC and check out Zengo. Is there any regulation on this, first of all, that's similar to how there is in the real estate market where different states will have rules on how uh, uh, buyers can submit offers and how they can negotiate against each other? And you know, I'm not sure if you're familiar with this market, but there is a bunch of kind of cumbersome rules in the real estate market. Is there anything in the like tech sector or business sector when you're purchasing? Yeah. Yeah. And it sucks. Is there? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So, I mean, so, so get this, um, 
so <laughs> where we're we don't facilitate any sort of stock sales. So anything that's a stock sale, we say we can't do it because that would put us under the purview of um, the SEC. So we only do asset sales. And asset sales are actually um, regulated by the Department of Real Estate. So real estate actually um, oh wow, uh, creates the rules and the laws for selling SaaS businesses as well. And the reason for the, it's an antiquated law like I, I'm, a, we have a in-house um, uh, business broker. We have a uh, subsidiary called um, Microquire Brokerage Services Inc. Um, so we're a, a regulated um, brokerage service company. I had to take the real estate salesperson test just to be able to give advice on selling companies. Wow. Um, so that that was one headache, not a big one. Um, but yeah, so for people that are thinking like, oh, maybe, you know, I'll help sell some businesses, definitely look into that. Because when I started MicroCore, I had no idea. I had no idea that was the law. And then like six months into it, I was like, you know, maybe we'll um, start charging commission. And it's just me. And then I find out, oh, you have to be a business broker. And then to become a business broker, it's even weirder. You have to be a real estate salesperson working underneath the business broker for two years. And then you can apply for your broker's license. Wow. So, And you did yeah, that? Yeah, they really have it. What's that? You did that? You were a, a real estate sales broker? So right now I'm a real estate sales person and I can apply for my broker's license in about um, a year. And so on the side, you could flip houses given this new license. Just saying. Yeah, you know, thing goes, thing goes <laughs> sideways, you know. So are you learning about, I mean, are you forced to take a test on real estate throughout this process? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I did a, I'm, I'm a pretty good test taker. So I crammed it in two days. Um, uh, I was the second person to finish. It's 150 yeah. questions. And uh basically what I would do is you get there's there's four questions and then I just cancel out two and I just kind of flip a coin on mm -hmm. either one. Mm -hmm. And then I remember when I finished the test and it's full on like they, they ask to see your arms and everything, like to see if you have notes written down and stuff like that. And I was the second person done and my first the first thing I said was, um, uh, when's the next time I could taste take the retake the test, assuming I failed? Um, and then the lady was like, here's your results. Uh, just open it in the hall if you can. And then I go out and I was like, oh, I passed. Oh, that was easy. Nice. Uh, so it's a pretty easy test. Um, but you, you definitely have to study. There's a lot of, and there are some good parallels in terms of, you know, um, you know, your fiduciary duty to, um, you know, your client, um, you know, there's, there's a lot of parallels in terms of selling real estate. They're, they're both assets at the end of the day. Um, but I learned a ton of stuff that I've already forgotten mm. in terms of, you know, uh, the types of deeds and mortgages and stuff like that. I, I never want to. So the vast majority was irrelevant to micro acquire. Almost entirely. Yeah, almost yes. entirely. And, uh, when you say microquire doesn't do any stock deals, is that any percentage? So if I'm selling my SaaS company and there's like, you know, 30% that it's going to be a stock transaction, 70% cash, that's not something a seller could even offer as a 
if I'm listing on the site and then a seller comes in and says we want to do 70-30 or 80-20, that's just... Uh, Yep, yep. Unfortunately, yeah. no. So in the future, though, um, so what we're working on is getting a broker dealer license, which would allow for us to exchange securities. And so we have future plans for, let's say you have a bootstrap startup and you want to take a little bit of money off the table. Um, you would be able to sell like 10, 20, 30 percent. Or maybe you wanted to do a stock sale with like a strategic company or something like that. Um, I'm sure these deals have gone down on microquare because we're not actually in the deal. It's basically the buyer and the seller meet. If they come to those terms on their own, um, you know, that's up to them. But we can't profit or benefit from those, those types of transactions whatsoever until we have a broker dealer license. But, um, those are future opportunities that we're, you know, excited about, but also not at the same time because, it's just a button in the marketplace, but to actually allow us to do it legally, we got to go through a lot of compliance stuff. So we'll have that in the future. But right now, if we see a listing come in, it's like reason for sale. I'm looking for an investor or something like that. We'll reject that listing and tell the person like, Hey, um, we can only do, you know, this type of sale for your business, unfortunately. And is that difficult to get this broker dealer license? It's not something you can just buy or. Uh, yeah, I won't go into the mechanics of how there's multiple different ways you can partner. You can, um, outright buy like a shell broker dealer company. Um, but we haven't gotten to a point where we have like a, a clear plan on how we're going to do it, but there's a number of different ways to do it, ranging from easy to hard to slow to fast to cheap to really expensive, depending on if you're partnering or if you're um, going for like a full ability to, you know, sell, you know, fractional shares. That would probably be the hardest one. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that would be awesome. I mean, that seems like it would be, I interviewed a guy a few weeks ago who was building a real estate um, uh, transaction site where you could sell off, you know, part of your house or part of the condo that you own and uh, use that as liquidity, which makes a lot of sense. And, you know, they're pretty small, but they went through this process and he was describing how they got the licensure, how they were structuring the company and compliance with the SEC and I think they launched in Miami recently, but we're still on the tip of the spear of this. I mean, there's not many companies. In fact, I, inter- I interviewed a guy in Norway who's doing the same thing. Uh, but there's just there's only a handful of companies out there who have even gone down this path. And the few that have seem to have targeted real estate, which makes sense because, you know, there's a ton of transactions, a ton of volume, and mortgages are difficult to get. So, Yeah. Yeah, but I haven't seen it for businesses, right? Nothing, you know, if there's, if there's a buyout on a business, it's typically cash off the table on a transaction. If I'm raising money as a founder, I can take off, you know, if I'm raising 10 million, I can take off half a million for my own gain, sell that stock into the deal. That's the only way I've seen it, take it off as secondary. Um, yeah, I mean, what what MicroWire does and the 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 void in the marketplace that we're trying to 
to solve is when you have a, a smaller business, let's say it's under you know 10 or 20 million in enterprise value, which is a lot. That'd be a huge deal in microcore. Average deal size is about um, 500,000 to 800,000, depending on the month. Um, and almost all those deals are asset sales. It doesn't make sense to buy the company if the deal is um, that small. Um, but shoot, what was I going to say? Um, basically, um, you know, another thing I'll point out too is, you know, when I was looking at building this, this business, there's a lot of innovation going on in in real estate. Mm -hmm. I, there's a lot of awesome, awesome companies like, um, homie is one of them that comes to mind. Um, you know, there's, there's a ton of them. Um, but there really is no central place to buy a business. And so that's what really got me excited about microcar was it's this huge market. It's super fragmented. You know, people do business deals on the side or with a single broker. There's no one consolidated place. Um, there's no innovation. So there's, it, it's just, you mm-hmm. know, everything's manual. Everything's, uh, it's like buying a house times 10 mm-hmm. harder mm-hmm. in terms of like, if you have like all the cash and everything. Um, and so, you know, just seeing like low MPS, uh, no consolidated place, no clear winner. Um, you know, it just felt like a great opportunity to go after. Um, but I, uh, there's a lot of parallels with, with, with real estate for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And I could see, I could see you guys clearly adding different verticals where, you know, you focus on the end asset transaction at the end of the life cycle of a business, but to have fractional shares traded in a secondary market makes a lot of sense. I mean, there's obviously legal compliance barriers to overcome, but there's no reason why someone couldn't sell, like sell 5% of my company for a hundred K and there's just a competitive market for that. And there's people bidding and then there's a transaction and it closes. It seems to me like there's so much room to remix and innovate the way that shares are transacted. We have the very standard, like you raise a, you know, start an LLC or C Corp and then you sell convertible or safe or price round. And then you go and do that a few times up the food chain and maybe IPO direct list or get acquired. Or if you're a SaaS company, list and sell the asset or do a stock transaction. But there's so, I mean, there's so many different ways to splice this and allow for more liquidity in the marketplace, more transparency. I think the uh, reg CF rule that changed a few years ago, the crowdfunding regulation that SEC came out with really is an example of, it's like relax the rules a little bit and watch innovation explode. Like now, Seed Invest and WeFunder and you know a bunch of others are allowing for people to retail investors. Uh, I think you have to be accredited, but maybe you don't to invest in. No, yeah, you don't, right? This whole no. idea. No, not with not with right. Yeah, I'm an investor in uh, WeFunder, so I know that, mm. and we're also partnered with them um, on microcredit, and and I love that. You yeah. know, it's basically I love businesses that um, allow. People to do something that was once only totally. for rich people, you, you know what I mean. And then microquire kind of, you know, operates in that similar vein where, you know, by making acquisitions easier, you don't have to be a investment banker, you don't have to be, you know, a former private equity person. Um, you could just be someone who wants to buy a job or buy a business. 
and we give you all the tooling and the walkthrough tips um, and the materials and the guidance that you need to get that done. And, you know, if we do that correctly, you know, we, because a lot of people want to own their, their own business. Yeah. Like I think the stats like 85% of people hate their jobs. Um, so, but a lot of people also don't have startup ideas. Yeah. You know, and a lot of people also don't have, you know, like the, the, the entrepreneurship part of, you know, there's builders and scalers and the builders are the crazier ones, I think. Cause you gotta think of an idea and you gotta hustle super hard and you gotta chew glass for two years and you pop a bottle of champagne and you get your first customer for 20 bucks a month. Cause like you built something, mm-hmm. you know, you gotta go through like some pain. Um, but you can buy product market fit. You can buy traction. And if you're a talented marketer or a salesperson or, you know, how to build a team, you can buy really, really good products and then really focus on the go to market. And then you have a business and it's not necessarily going to be a billion dollar company. But I mean, if you have a, you know, software company doing, let's just say like one or two million a year, but it's paying, you know, what you made it your current job or something like that. I think that's a huge opportunity. Mm. Um, and that's, again, what we're really aiming at, at with MicroWire is enabling more people to feel comfortable with these acquisitions. So if we do that correctly, we increase the buyer pool. And if we increase the buyer pool, theoretically, we would increase uh, liquidity uh, maybe in the hundreds of millions for startup acquisition. Yeah. What do you think of the idea? Maybe this exists and I'm not aware of it. Uh, what do you think of the idea of allowing rev share liquidity? So if I'm running a SaaS company, we're generating, um, you know, say five million a year in ARR. If I'm wanting to trade maybe 10% of the rev share of the business or profit share for, X amount of dollars, maybe $50,000 that I can open that up. Like I'm not aware of anything now that's generally more of a closed door investor type conversation. But if you say, Hey, this is the, I'm allowing, I'm selling 20% of the revenue of this company and it's going to be recurring revenue. And so an investor from the outside who has savings and they want to get into this space, they can put in a hundred K now and we pay back, yeah. you know, X amount of dollars. It's kind of like open sourcing or um, allowing more of a marketplace dynamic to what the uh, what are those? What, what's that company that makes uh, like loan based uh, uh, revenue rev share based lending? May I pipe? Yeah, like pipe. FJs, yeah, but they centralize it. Yeah. You know, they're not retail investors. They're a Central, yeah, market. Harry, um, Harry, the founder pipe. He he bought me this, um, glove. We're partnering with um, pipe too. We what do you get you? Too many this boxing glove, uh, yeah. When we first partnered, <laughs> um, I'm a big Mike Tyson, fan. <laughs> nice. um, he 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 sent that to That's me. Awesome. But, um, I, I think those companies are great, you know. Um, if you have a business in SaaS, you can get to a point where you know, if you're really diligent about, especially if you're bootstrapping a company, like when I was bootstrapping business apps. Uh, we focus very heavily on a metric called um, customer payback period. So basically, a customer signs up. How long does it take for us to actually, mm-hmm. you know, book that as profit? And our customer payback period was like sixty days or something like that. And so, a product like Pipe would have fueled our growth so much faster than yeah, yeah. yeah. What we would do is we, you know, get the customers, uh, you know, 
revenue up front and then we reinvest into the business and the faster we could do that the faster we could grow um but if you're dialed in like a machine where you know exactly you know i put a dollar in here and i get a three dollars or ideally four dollars out um you know four to one ltv to cap ratio is really good um you know it's just like you don't have to raise money at that point so i think anything that helps entrepreneurs you know grow their businesses and save equity at the same time is just a win-win for everybody. Yeah. I mean, I see the appeal of pipe in the, in the, in the sense that they're introducing a new model for revenue. When I see that, I also think why not open that up and allow that to be more of a marketplace dynamic where instead of pipe deciding yes or no, or the prices, it's like, let the market decide, open up that deal to retail investors, crowdfunding style, regulatory compliance man like like, i mean yeah yeah. i mean if we could if we could today uh we would just add a button that just said are you open to a partial share or partial sale of your company it would just be a little checkbox i can have it added in 30 seconds um (laughs) but again when what you'd be buying is um you know stock in the business and we're just not at a point where we can do that from a regulatory standpoint is that so it's it's is coming, but it, we're not available to do it yet. You're talking about micro acquire. Is it is there a, yeah. is there something structurally preventing this from happening? Period, or is it more you guys are heading this direction and you're just working on it personally? I would say it's just a matter of priorities. I mean, yeah. I think the market for that it, we still have so much to build. Like we just, like I said, we just today we launched our what we're really considering like the foundation of you know our vision for standardizing and streamlining acquisitions with our guided acquisition process and then we're going to be moving into you know more advanced um basically a tool that helps you create a pnl because if you're running a smaller business you typically don't have a controller or vp of finance and that's usually i'm sure when you sold your business it was like what you gotta you gotta show your numbers um so we're building a tool that, you know, you can connect revenue and expenses and we can kind of stitch together a P&L for you. Um, so there's a, there's a number of other tools that, you know, we want to knock out first and then we'll we'll be looking at that later in the year. Yeah. T- talk a little bit more about this. So you guys have been working on this for six months. It's a guided, by the time this podcast comes out, I'm sure you'll be launched with it. If not today, you're, you launched it. But it's a pr- process yeah. through which a buyer can more granular have guidance granularly have guidance on the step-by-step process of selling the company or buying vice versa yeah so the idea was you know we we spoke with a lot of buyers and sellers and we saw acquisitions just happening in like a hundred different ways and a lot of it was offline not contained within the marketplace and so we want to bring those transactions on the marketplace for trust and security on both sides, but then also standardize it. So when you sign an LOI, it's not like this dark tunnel. It's like a tunnel with, with light through it. Like, okay, my next step is to do this. And my next step, and the buyer also can move along those lines. Um, and by building that, you know, acquisitions, um, I uh, theoretically will move faster because both parties know exactly what to do. And it it's like a sort of like a, a standardization of, you know, the industry. And I guess the, the best sort of, um, you know, um, comparable I could give is, 
like the YC safe. Mm-hmm. Like everyone trusts the Y Combinator safe document because it's, they just standardized um, angel investing with a simple document. And so we're trying to take that same approach where we have a standard LOI. You can build an LOI, a letter of intent, which is for those listening, is just an offer, a uh, non-legally binding offer to acquire a company. You can build one of those on microquare. So we want to standardize the LOI. We want to standardize the process um, just to get everybody on the same page. So deals move faster. Founders have more confidence because another fun fact, when I sold my first business, I don't know if this happened to you, but I got like 10 phone calls from friends. Like, how'd you find the buyer? What was due diligence? Like, what was the legal process? Like, what's what's an asset purchase agreement? What's a stock purchase agreement? Um, you know, what was do? How long did due diligence take? All, all this sort of stuff. And I was like, huh. So entrepreneurs are trained. You know, we got books on marketing, fundraising, more books on fundraising, you know, Prada, everything, everything but how to actually exit your business. And so I thought, whoa, all right. So we're startups have been democratized. We're starting to see, you know, people build really, really, you know, high value assets or startups all across the world. Um, and, you know, they're going to need a place to, to sell. You're not going to hand your startup down to your, your children. Uh, it'll be disrupted by that. <laughs> um, so, you know, with that in mind, I was like, okay, um, you know, if, I didn't know all this stuff. I, I I would assume there's other entrepreneurs just like me. And that was kind of another unique insight was, you know, this is why you pay a business broker 15% because they have this knowledge that, you know, you don't have and you don't have any other options aside from working with them to sell your business. And I thought, yeah, let's, let's unveil the curtain and let's, you know, really discuss like what each aspect of, you know, going through an acquisition is and how to benefit from it and what to expect when you're in it and, you know, really help, again, founders maximize their exit without, you know, all the headaches that, you know, you might see um, selling your company otherwise. Yeah, totally. And is this the kind of stuff you would write about in the daily newsletter and uh, the blog? No, the, no, the, well, there's a lot of content. So if you go to microquare.com and click uh, resources at the top, there's a ton of articles on any everything from valuations to due diligence to the legal aspects of an acquisition to how to do technical due diligence, how to transfer assets. Uh, like you, you could buy like a hundred million dollar company if you read all. Mm-hmm. That's probably an exaggeration, but. Um, so we have all that, but the daily newsletter is just deals. Mm-hmm. Every day we um, basically send out a list of 10 new deals that came in because um, our, our deal flow is that high and we vet every single deal. And then every day around like 7 a.m. Um, Pacific Coast time, we just send out a newsletter um, of different deals. Look yeah. At. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. 
How about other industries? Like uh, there was a company I started and ran for four years in home care. We were a marketplace, raised about 23 million, had about 600 caregivers on this platform. And in the space of home care, it's like a $34 billion market, 20,000 independent agencies out there, similar to SaaS. I mean, this is just one market. I'm sure there's others, but they're all competing, very similar value proposition, geographically constrained. They're all, you know, they all get rolled up when they get large enough. There's a big uh, private equity market upstream to buy them. There's no consolidated space. Have you, have you, have you gotten to the point yet or are you still just focusing on where you're at now? But it's, to me, I'm like, I could see microacquire having, you know, what are you interested in? SaaS, restaurants, home care, blah, blah, blah. Is that interesting to you? Or are there reasons why that doesn't make sense? Like businesses different than just SaaS? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so we um we we mainly focus on SaaS and when we launched when when we launched or when I launched it, um it was only SaaS. But we've expanded to uh like e commerce, uh direct to consumer, crypto companies, web three, newsletters, communities, basically any sort of software company that's profitable um or has some sort of traction. The businesses that we don't list are typically content sites or um, pre-revenue products. Mm. Um, but we've definitely expanded sort of, so a- any type Amazon FBA, what else? Shopify, SaaS applications. So there's, there's kind of something for everybody. So if you like ties and you want to find a yeah. e-commerce site that sells ties, yeah. like there's probably one. <laughs> there's, there's over, there's over 2000 plus companies on microquire. And if you combine all the revenue, all the yearly revenue of all those companies, I believe it's one point seven billion. Um, so there's there's a good amount of supply yeah, yeah. for um, whatever sort of business. If you're an e-commerce person or a SaaS person, or you're looking for a community to maybe bolt on to your current company, um, there's a lot of interesting businesses. But strictly online, there wouldn't be an offline type businesses. Yeah. yeah, that is somewhere that, you know, I think over time, once we nailed the whole product workflow, um, I could see Microquire becoming, you know, a marketplace to sell any type of business. But the biggest challenge there is the person that's interested in, say, a restaurant or a home care business is very different than totally. the person who's interested in a SaaS or an e-commerce business. And then you also have... Um, geography constraints and then also the seller of a business like a restaurant um like good luck getting a three-year P&L yeah. from them to really analyze the health yeah. of their business so i think it's going to take some time um but as more small businesses use square and toast and stuff like that and they have all their books kind of in a digital format um you know we could again you know build a P&L for them and then help them sell their business faster so mm. you know Again, when when we kind of zoom out and we think about what microquire could become in you know two, three, four, five years, yeah, like every type of main street businesses, digital businesses, um, they're all the same. But again, buyers are different, so there's just unique aspects we need to carefully think through. But right now, we're 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 really narrowly focused on just profitable software companies with 
the majority of them being SaaS. How about international? Do you see, uh, is, is the, I imagine the vast majority in the U.S. or is it exclusively U.S. companies? No, no. It's not. Me. Yeah, so we've, we, we've, um, I've, I've always been a huge fan of expanding internationally as quickly as possible. So we've um, established partnerships with um, different just uh, groups in Europe, uh, Belgium, Turkey, India. Like private equity um, groups? Uh, usually accelerators or seed oh, yeah. funds just because they have the, the broadest um, group, but then also friendly with some of the bigger VCs. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, when a VC brings you a company they put $10 million into, it's usually not a yeah. happy ending for the founder. Um, because if a deal gets over, say, 50 to 100 million, uh, an investment bank um, is probably better suited. Um, and, and their fee is, you know, around 2 3%, which I think makes sense. Um, so yeah, we've seen deals happen on every single continent, like Africa. We have a partnership with a company called Pariti, uh, which is kind of like the angel list of, yeah. um, Africa. Um, so we've seen acquisitions on every continent except, um, Antarctica. Yeah. So, and which makes sense, right? Cause you're, if you're offering the subscription, then people would just pay, enter a credit card, get access to the buyer's details. And then it doesn't matter where they live. Yeah, exactly. And it's kind of cool too. Like one of my favorite stories is um there was this um kid in college who sold a let's it was like a SaaS platform that helped people pass coding tests for, you know, uh fang companies like Google, Apple, Facebook. And he sold it for like a quarter million dollars and he was like twenty two in India. Mm. And so he wrote me this like really heartfelt email, like saying he paid off all student loans. He like bought his mom like a house or something like that. It's awesome. Um, so he's, yeah, he's, he's sitting good. Um, and that was another moment that was, um, a while ago. So that was another moment where I was like, wow, this could really have a global impact on entrepreneurs and just kind of reinforcing, you know, just, the need for a place to sell a different option for founders to go and sell their business. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it pushes it in, it probably pulls companies upstream where you might now go and start a company knowing that in a year from now, you just want to sell it and that there's a clear end zone on micro acquire to go and do that. Where previously, because the exit is daunting, confusing, costly, you wouldn't have started the company in the first place. So I, I, I wonder if people now have become super systematized. Maybe you've seen this where they're just like starting five businesses. They have a process in place and yeah. just like cranking yeah. through different iterations. Yeah. We, 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 we call them micro acquirers. Um, yeah. Like there's, there's some people who have sold, I think the top person has sold like 10 different companies. Yeah. Um, nothing big, like all five figures. He just makes a product finds a, some level of traction with a few paying customers and sells it. Um, we, same on the buy side. Um, but also, you know, just, you know, in a way, having a marketplace like MicroCore can de-risk acquisition, especially, you know, uh, you know, with the venture markets, I think we're going to see some strong tailwinds in terms of startups just needing soft landings. Yeah. Yeah. Like not like the best outcomes, but you know, maybe they, and this was, uh, this is another, um, real story, but, um, I had a, I had a friend who raised, let's say 400 K and 
you know, he got the business to, you know, a hundred thousand or so in revenue. And he just was like, Hey, I just need to sell the business. And I'd love to repay my investors. And he did, he was able to find a person that repaid his investors. And now he owns the company. And, you know, typically when, you know, an entrepreneur would be in a situation like that, they would just shut the company down, even with a great product customers. And so now we're able to, you know, maybe this isn't a venture back business. Maybe this individual isn't in a position to, you know, spend a decade, you know, again, you know, eating glass to get the business off the ground. Um, we de-risk entrepreneurship. And now uh, this individual is, you know, already working on another startup. So it, you know, really de-risks entrepreneurship. Yeah, no, it, it makes sense. And I like, I like talking to you with, the, with you about the different areas you can grow into too. It's, it's fun to think the different segments, the different verticals, the way you can split out and make the company more liquid by selling off parts of it or selling rev share. Like you said, adding stock transactions, different parts of the world to grow into. It's like, it's a fun, fun business. Seems like you're enjoying it. Are you having fun on the day to day? You raise, raise money. So now you're venture backed. Does that change? Yeah. 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 So, yeah, I mean, you know, the, uh, let me, um, address the, the venture backed, um, uh, decision because that was a big yeah. one because I bootstrapped it to maybe 700,000 or something like that in revenue. Um, so I, I could have kept going just solo, but you know, I, I'm a big advocate of just like get a win under your belt, um, find some financial security and, and then swing for the fences or go land a beach or whatever. Um, for this business, I mean, I wake up every day and I just look at cool startups and then I help them get acquired it's super cool and some of them become millionaires some of them become you know they make a couple hundred thousand some of them make you know ten thousand and it's just a really rewarding business and i just felt it needed to exist so bad that it um you know it i wanted to to aggressively you know attack the the product roadmap that i kind of described to rather than just kind of bootstrapping another business. Um, but um, to answer your d- question directly, yeah. I mean, it's like my dream company. I just get to look at cool... St- I, I see a, a part of the startup ecosystem that no one sees. And it's beautiful. It's not the $100 million raises, you know, unicorn valuations. It's just these people building these like really niche businesses without investors and they're selling them for all cash and they're walking away like and then I'm looking at them and I'm like you you guys have figured it out like not me like you you know you built a CRM that's very specific to a certain customer you grew it to like a couple million in revenue now you're walking away with like 4 million, 4 or 5 yeah. 7 million bucks after like 4 3 years like what else do you need um so you know there's there's a lot of um you know, fun parts about business, um, for sure. But, um, yeah, this is, this is definitely a business I could see myself running and there's so many different ways to take it too. That also gets me excited. So, yeah, yeah. um, I, I, I would say I'll be running this thing, um, at least for another, uh, yeah, who knows five years. Yeah. I'd say. Um, who did you, so where are you at now at for traction? You're at 700 K when you raised, that was a couple of years ago. When did you raise? 
Uh, no, it's actually one year ago. So exactly. Yeah. And I know that because I put out a tweet the other day saying like, Hey, I hired my first employees and my first, um, the first people I hired was my former VP of product, my former VP of engineering and my former CFO. Um, and now we're at about 2 million in recurring revenue, but the, the real metrics that we track at Microcar is, um, acquisition volume and acquisition size. And then trust and, and security, and it, it's hard to kind of measure those, but we do it in a, a few different ways. Um, but the first two metrics, um, this year alone, we've helped facilitate over a quarter billion in acquisitions, which surpassed um, before that um, over the course of about two years. So the business has been around for about two and a half years. In six months, we've done more in acquisition transactions than we did in the first two years. So we've seen a nice sort of clip um, just as the tooling has gotten better, more buyers have entered the marketplace. Our brand has strengthened. We've really kind of nailed down, you know, our sort of position in the market. Um, so it's it's been fun. It's been fun building out a team again, you know, all, you know, all, all those fun, you know, challenges. Let me throw out another idea at you. <clears throat> when, when, so my brother runs this company called Cameo. He's, he's, he started it as a CTO. And they allow people to, like, you can buy, like, a celebrity yeah. shout-out. And I think their, their, their success is riding the tailwinds of the decentralization of media, you know, YouTube, podcasting. People aren't watching two channels on TV anymore. They're watching... You know, their options are hundreds of thousands of professional influencers. And I think that these, the, these people who are generating content are, you should think of them as businesses and instead of like individuals. And the businesses sometimes are, you know, serious businesses like doing t- millions or tens of millions a year in revenue. And I think that that will continue and take up basically the entire media category. And I think people in that segment don't know. They, they don't know really how to tr- uh, transact the value that they've accumulated. You know, h- if I have 10 million viewers, I'm making a ton of money, I'm making content, I'm taking brand sponsors. Okay, I want to stop doing this. I want to retire. I'm tired. What do I do? What do I do now? How do I trade this? Or how can I maybe give up part of this uh, momentum for some ec- for some revenue? There's no marketplace there at all. It's just like kind of a wild west of people figuring it out. And I don't know what the answer is, but it seems like you're in a position where you're you're downstream. You're not doing large acquisitions. You're doing smaller ones. And you're working with individuals now. Maybe one person has one SaaS company. Maybe they're the only employee. Or they got a couple of contractors. But the structure of the organization is not all that much different. It's just the product looks a lot different. Instead of selling software, I'm selling attention. And instead of building code, I'm creating content. But structurally, they're very similar. And it's a huge freaking market. So I don't know what to do with that, but... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we, we get so many requests. Like, can we find a co-founder on MicroQuare? Don't do that. Mind? I don't think... Well, you I mean, know, guess so, uh, there's so many different, like... Yeah, I know. I mean, we're we're, we're narrowly... Like one one of the most basic startup principles is just be narrowly focused on just solving one problem. It's always fun to think about like all the different things that you can do, but that's also one of the easiest ways to to die um, or 
fail as as as, as a startup is do you want to just narrowly and aggressively stay just maliciously focused on solving one problem and so um for now we're we're just pure acquisition building tools it helps that one problem Good. don't listen to people like and me and <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's fun. I mean, yeah. Yeah, well, the, but, at some um, point, you will, right? You capture a decent percentage of the market. You maybe you raise another round to go after something. Yeah, exactly. You wanna you you wanna get to a point where um, you know you've really established um, you know your product and your brand uh, as kind of the the dominant company uh, solving whatever problem you're solving, and then. You can layer on. There's so many different examples. Like Shopify started with, you know, uh, e-commerce stores, and now they handle payments. And they have an app store. And, you know, you just start layering on things that just make natural sense and usually bubble up, yep. you know, kind of organically, just from your customers alone. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. Uh, anyone in particular, or any books that you, people that you follow, books you read, things that have influenced you, either in the business, microquire, or just personally, that stood out to you. Um, these are, these are the books I'm reading right now. I would say, uh, books to check out, um, tuned in is a really good one and play bigger. Play bigger has been, um, probably one of my favorite ones. It's, you know, about category creation. Um, I'm, I'm a, I, I, I'm a big believer that, you know, software is so easy to copy today that, you know, having like a fun brand, like Cameo is a good example. They have an amazing brand. Um, but they also have a defensible mode with all the celebrities they have involved. But, um, you know, how do you, how do you capture attention? Um, just kind of like to your last point, I think that today every startup has, you know, 10 direct competitors, but your real competitor is just customer's attention. So how do you capture that? How do you stand out? Um, because the playbooks that used to work, you know, a decade ago don't really work anymore because every, everyone uses them. And so, I'm always thinking of, you know, how can we make our company stand out? How can we market the company in ways that doesn't feel like marketing? How can we have a fun brand? So Play Bigger is a really good read. Um, what was that? Oh, people, books and people. Um, people, um, a too many yeah. to list. Yeah, yeah. I don't, don't want to name this fine. one. I actually, I actually, I will. I actually, I got one. Christian Friedland. He was my. Um, uh, so for my first business, we only raised a hundred thousand dollars, and he invested uh, fifty thousand dollars, and was like the best mentor, friend, just advisor and, and you could ever ask for he built a company called build.com it's basically home depot online they do billions in gmb a year and he would literally we talk on like a at least a weekly basis if not daily um and he had a huge impact on my life and he's like the closest you'll ever get to re gold like in the flesh Mm-hmm. Uh, like during our like board meetings, he'd be like smoking like a <laughs> shoes off. Like, like uh, he he's a cool ass dude, but he's absolutely brilliant, and he's just such a caring dude. Um, I've I've you know I I've I've met a lot of people, but I haven't met anyone just like as just relatable and just yeah. such a good human, and then funny, and then brilliant all all in red. Yeah, and it sounds like he um any swear any any 
He swears yeah, a lot. Yeah, it's not Ari Gold. That sounds like he believed in you too. I mean, that's a huge part of why someone makes that kind of investment of their time. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the 50K was nothing, but his time was like 10 million. If, yeah, if, uh, yeah, yeah. Awesome, man. Um, well, congrats on all the progress. And I, I give you a lot of credit for staying focused and just keep doing what you do. So thanks for hopping on, man. It was fun. Yeah, Mike, thanks for having me on the podcast. All right, Andrew. It. See you, buddy. Thank you for listening to Around the Coin. If you enjoyed the show today, consider giving us a quick review wherever you listen to podcasts tweet about it or text it to a friend. We really appreciate all the support and growing that we can. If you have any guests you'd like us to bring on or feedback for us, don't hesitate to reach out. We would love to hear from you. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. 